Welcome to Mariner Monday, a segment of the Boy Beats World podcast. I'm joined today by Phil Smeraldo, and we went through and talked about all the important things with this team, like the opening day starter, the third base situation with Kyle Seeger's injury, and why the M's have an Oscar-worthy commercial on their hands. Please be sure to give us a rating and review, and uh, more importantly, tell a friend about the best damn Mariners podcast around. Nope, not the wheelhouse of Jerry DePoto, Mariner Monday. Hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll talk to you again next week. Uh, Phil, I have a question for you. Yeah, what's that? So, you know how, like, anytime you bring something up about college, like, if, I, if I'm if i like, oh, remember when, when, you know, we played that NIT drinking game, you're gonna, your answer is going to be like, oh, that sounds like it was 10 years ago. Or it's either going to be like, oh, I felt like that was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how come nothing is feels exactly as long ago as it was? It actually was. I don't know. It's, I guess that's an interesting question about the passage of time. It's um, <laughs> exactly what you were prepared to talk about today, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we could just uh, get really philosophical on this for an hour instead of doing the normal Mariners thing if you want. Well, I was just thinking about that because the uh, the season starts in nine days. They will be playing in, in Japan in nine days. And <laughs> I was thinking that is absurd that they're playing baseball in nine days. But in theory, I should have been totally prepared for that because I've known that for quite some time. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those things. It is weird, though, because they're going to play those two games in Japan, but then they come back and they have to play like four or five more spring training games, and then they start the actual opening day and get into the routine of the, of the season. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. There's, just, there's nothing that's like, oh, yeah, that, that was four years ago. That, that sounds about right. It's always like, oh, my God, that was felt like just yesterday. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Let's, uh, time is a flat circle. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Let's, uh, let's get into our segments though. This is, this is two straight weeks, man. We're, uh, we're on a, we're on a little streak here. Uh, we will start with three up, three down, talking about the three biggest storylines, uh, in Mariners Dumb right now. The first one being, uh, the opening day starter controversy, which totally shouldn't be a controversy, but kind of is. Uh, yeah, more like a fiasco, not so much a controversy. <laughs> I know it's it just it doesn't have to be like this whatsoever. Marco Gonzalez was named the opening day starter. We all kind of suspected that uh, over Felix Hernandez, whose streak of ten straight opening day starts uh, has been broken. Uh, what say you about this? And and kind of to add to that, Felix Hernandez came out and was was said he was disappointed with it and hasn't been happy and uh, could have called this and there was nothing he could have done to to change Scott Service's mind. Uh, it's, it's just, why, why does this have to be a problem? Well, it's just kind of like what you were saying, you know, the season's starting nine days from now and, you know, for 29, probably out of the 30 baseball teams, minus the Mariners, of course, that's going to be a time of a lot of hope and a lot of good feelings. And even if the teams aren't going to be great, it's still, you know, spring is here, summer's around the corner things it's just a it's a hopeful time for a lot of people and now with this whole controversy or whatever you call it, it's not really a controversy Felix Hernandez absolutely doesn't deserve to start on opening day but there's just going to be this kind of weird sort of sad cloud that's going to be hanging over the Mariners for the next I don't know probably two three weeks until this all sort of blows over which it will but it, it just it is a shame because it really doesn't have to be this way and I, I'm just afraid that you know Felix is sort of uh, eating up all the goodwill that he's, you know, produced over the last 10 years. And it's not his fault. I mean, people ask him 
you know, are you upset about not being the opening day starter? What's he supposed to say? No, I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm not a good pitcher <laughs> right. anymore. You right. know, it, it's tough. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of layers to this for something so trivial. We were kind of talking about this last night of, it, it means nothing in the grand, grand scheme of things. Who starts the first game? Um, so in theory, everyone should be amicable, but also you could be able to say, well, if it means nothing, then just give it to the guy that's, that's, you know, been there for a long time and, and not going to put up a, or, you know, to, to kind of preserve the sanctity of the locker. It was not like Marco Gonzalez would have done the exact same thing, uh, that Felix Hernandez did if you gave it to Felix. Uh, right. how, however, I just, I don't, <laughs> I like the idea of a little bit of merit for this. Uh, the last time that Felix didn't start opening day was Eric Berdard. They brought him in, you know, the big offseason trade. You trade Adam Jones to get him. Uh, they start Eric Berdard on opening day in Safeco. I'm sure that pissed Felix off, who had started the two years before that. Um, but this is not that. Marco Gonzalez is not some some new guy that they're trying to bring in here. This is a, you know, kind of uh, successful project project that the Mariners have, have accomplished uh, in getting Marco from Tommy John guy to now staff ace. And all Felix had to do if he was if he knew this was going to happen was just say, yeah, I'm really happy for Marco and then go prove it himself uh, that he that he still might deserve that position. So it's just, again, why? Why does this have to be so difficult? I, I guess my question to you would be, what do you think the and again, this is a very trivial sort of thing. It is one start. But my question, it, it, it does have a lot of symbol, both to the fans and the players, so it is worth talking about. My question to you would be, do you think that the opening day starter is something that's more of a symbolic thing, or it should be a, 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 a merit thing? Because in the case of symbolism, I guess who's done more for the franchise, who's stuck around the franchise and been good to the franchise when he's had no right to be, and really until the last couple of years has never complained about the lack of run support and all that, it's, it's Felix. Mm-hmm. But if you want to sort of start moving the team in another direction, it is hard. It's like getting rid of a of a really good employee who's kind of just you know stopped producing. It's 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 there's more emotion to it than I think. I, I guess I I'm a pretty you know logical analytical guy, so I don't really try and deal too much with that emotional aspect of it. But for a lot of people, a lot of baseball players, it's it's their livelihood. It's something they take a lot of pride in and. I guess Felix is is hurt by that for you know right or wrong. That's the way he feels about it. Yeah, the 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 question of what who you know uh, it means so much to the organization. That's all true. Um, I think that Jerry Depoto and Scott Service's perception of Felix Hernandez has got to be pretty warped. Um, for they came with some sort of plan for him in order to resurrect his career to change him as mm-hmm. a pitcher, and then he doesn't really. Uh, you know, hold up his end of the bargain there. I would imagine and they had never been around to see Felix when he was really dominant. I'm sure they saw it when they were with the angels on the other side, but when they came in to uh, take over the Mariners organization, Felix was already on the downhill slide. So they've never really got to enjoy the fruits of a really good Felix Hernandez year. So they probably don't have as much positive feeling towards him as, as a lot of people in the fan base do. Yeah, his his equity with them is very low, whereas with Marco Gonzalez, I imagine it's pretty high. Um, and, and it just, it, you know, like you said, it's a symbolic thing. Um, so it's symbolic to everyone in that clubhouse of what this means. And I think that that, I have no problem with them doing this as a, a message that, hey, uh, your past performance means nothing. Your, your you know, legacy as a, as a player, um, while valuable, it doesn't have anything to do with with how we're 
for treating things going forward. I mean, the good old M's playing the 95 highlights every single game, um, that kind of old, you know, let's worry about, let's, let's celebrate the past mentality has pissed me off for so many years that saying, hey, this guy's worked his tail off. Uh, he's he's the most talented guy. He's earned this. Um, let's put him forward and give him this this honor. Um, I, I have no problem with that. And I think that if you just keep to that logic, everyone should be okay with that. I agree. Do you think Felix is going to be if I had if I had to ask you a percentage chance question here, what percentage chance is there that Felix Hernandez becomes a real problem? Not not only just his on field performance, but his overall demeanor going forward through this season. What percentage chance is there that this really is a is an ugly divorce? I don't think where the Mariners just have to cut him or something along those lines because it's become so toxic in the clubhouse. Well, I think if if he pitched well it would solve everything i mean every fifth day he would he would you know be be this starting pitcher and uh you know after a few uh off days they could re reshape the rotation around a guy that's oh he's figured it out again and then it's then no one cares no one worries about who who started march 20th in japan um, so here's here's the problem with the Felix pitching well scenario, and I've thought about this quite a bit. <laughs> that it's not going to happen? Pitches, if, yeah, which pro- it probably won't happen. But let's say Felix has a modest re- resurgence, modest renaissance. He comes back. He looks decent. You know, he, he's a one-to-two win player, and he's somebody that maybe a contender would have some interest in trying to bolster their rotation to make a playoff push. I mean, there's a real chance that if he has a good resurgence like we're all hoping for, or even a modest resurgence, we're not. I don't. I think the days of him being a Cy Young are are long, 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 long gone. But even a modest resurgence, I think there's a really, really good chance that Felix gets traded at the deadline if that's the case. Yeah, and then and then there's the argument there that if that's the case, and that's kind of the best case scenario with this, given a team that's probably not going to win more than 75 games this year, you could do a lot of things to help Felix. You could say, Hey, Felix, we want to trade you to a contender. Uh, let's let's have you go pitch in Colorado so that you can pitch in a playoff game because you've earned this and and they want to give us a prospect and it's good for everybody and if that's the case and if that's the end game uh then not starting him on opening day you may have just lost him um and he's just gonna mail it in this year and and you know get his paycheck Collect his checks exactly yeah. and and i i understand that i understand that that's um that's a that's a probability but you kind of have to bet on felix Hernandez being a professional and uh wanting to use this as a challenge in order to become uh, become the guy again and, and show that he can still do that and say, screw you, Marco Gonzalez, screw you that you get, you get 10 seconds of the commercial and I get two. Um, I want to talk <laughs> about that, but we'll get to that uh, at the commercial segment. <laughs> we will get to the commercials because they were, they were also very symbolic. Um, but I don't know. I think we can, th- this could be the entire podcast, but um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the hot topic now when there's no actual games to go on. But once the, the, once the, these guys start pitching, uh, a lot more questions will be answered. I think if you you know if you see Marco go out um, on day one and show why he's the number one guy and Felix is where he was last year, then none of none of this all of this is moot because it was all it was all for for you know the the best of this baseball team. Right. I just want to say one thing. It's it's just so unfortunate that something that is like you know it shouldn't be such a big deal is it, and Felix has been such a model teammate and citizen throughout the last you know 10 12 years he's been with the team and now of all things a stupid opening day start is where he starts to you know 
rear a little bit of that ugly side that, and I don't want people to remember him that way. I want him to be remembered as, you know, the amazing pitcher that he was for 10, 11 years when the Mariners really had nothing to look forward to, but every fifth day watch Felix go out and dominate. Yeah. I rewatched uh, all 27 outs of the, of the perfect game the other day. Uh, and yeah, it just brought me back and it was a good reminder of, of his accomplishments. Um, however, I just think that they are null and void when it comes to this decision and, and as it pertains to a team that is very much future, future leaning. But, uh, anyways, on to the next topic in, in three up, three down here. We're going to talk about some position battles, uh, with the M's. The first of which was made a little bit more complicated today with the news that Kyle Seeger would be undergoing surgery on his hand. Uh, so we will talk about, uh, the third base position battle. What does Kyle Seeger's hand injury uh, do to kind of the shuffling of, of this team? Well, I've been going back and forth on this one in my head, trying to decide how big of a deal I guess this is for the Mariners. And in the grand scheme of things, I guess it's not a big deal at all. 2019 is kind of going to be a season that they're going to punt on anyway. Is this something that is going to be a concern going forward because they're hoping they were really banking on a, a bounce back year for Seager so they could maybe move that big contract? But I don't really believe that's the case. Even if Seager had a great year, you're going to be really hard pressed to find someone that's going to want to take on the last three years of that contract. And I think, you know, it'll afford the opportunity to have uh, Ryan Healy join the club probably because mm-hmm. he's going to be taking uh, reps at third base. You'll have, and that'll free up, uh, you know, more at bats for Vogelbach, which I think everyone wants to see, and give him one last shot to see if this can really be a guy who could be a DH going forward. And then obviously you're going to get Jay Bruce and Edwin Encarnacion there at bats to try and showcase some of their trade value as well going forward. So in a lot of ways, I don't think this is a huge setback for the Mariners, but it's never good when a player gets hurt, especially a guy that you're really hoping has a strong uh, season to kind of quell some of those fears that last year and even to some extent the year before that were um, products of a shift that he's now adjusting to, or maybe uh, something that, you know, he wasn't doing right with his body and now he's back on track. So he's going to get off to a, already a delayed start. Mm-hmm. So it's not looking good for him. Yeah. And that's kind of where I fell on this is that given, given the expectations this season, it doesn't matter a whole lot. And Kyle Seeger was not going to make or break, um, you know, this being a playoff team or not in most, you know, mo- most likely, uh, but yeah, you just kind of mentioned it, that the work he had put in uh, to change his body and, and to, to get in good shape for the season and to have this happen is more of a bummer, bummer for Seager's, uh, you know, personal uh, life as you kind of look at it through that way. But that does lead me to a question of would this have happened to fat Kyle Seager? Would he have? Would he have? No, <laughs> there would have been more padding there. <laughs> that he and he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have dove for anything. Stronger. Yeah. What's that? He wouldn't have dove for it. He wouldn't have got to it. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's it is unfortunate for Kyle because you know you can see it. It's it's uh it's evidenced by his body. He did put in a lot of work and he really does want to revitalize his career. So, I guess one one month won't change that hopefully. It'll just be the month of April, but still, you don't like to see a guy already come in behind the eight ball when he's trying to um push for a bounce back year. But that's I want to say that is one of the nicer things about rooting for a team. Uh, that's not planning on being in contention for 2019. A lot of those uh, things that would have been so devastating a year ago, two years ago, mm-hmm. this year it's a little bit easier mentally to ride those out because you know you're planning for a more long-term outlook. Yeah, definitely. And so the big winners from the the, the Seager situation, at least to start the year, uh, were Healy, as you mentioned. But how does that impact uh, J.P. Crawford's 
potential as starting with the, uh, the the big league ball club rather than in Tacoma? Well, I would have said if, if Crawford came out and tore up spring training and was really giving the club a reason to uh, sort of have to put him on the team, it would have made the decision a lot easier. But Crawford, he hasn't looked horrible, don't get me wrong, but it hasn't been to the point where he's forced the front office's hand to say, hey, we got to put this guy on the team. He deserves it. So I think it'll probably be Healy at the start. And once Crawford has shown something in AAA or whatever the indicators are for the team that they're going to feel comfortable moving him up, then he will move up, probably take over shortstop. And if uh, Seager's still not ready, that'll push either Tim Beckham to third base if uh, Beckham is having a nice year. Or Ryan Healy, if he's having a nice year, will stay at third base. So it gives him a little bit of flexibility, actually, that way, believe it or not. And I know an injury feels like it'll give you less flexibility, but with the, you know, with the, the surplus of young infielders that they have, or old infielders, I guess, if you would count Ryan Healy and Seager to that, and Beckham, um, it'll give them a little bit more, uh, a few more puzzle pieces to move around in the infield. Yeah, I, I I like what you said there, but with with uh, with Crawford, he kind of from everything I read with how Philly used him, uh, he was kind of their Mike Zanino, and that he was rushed to the big leagues a little bit too early. I uh, never really got a, a lot of minor league at bats to um, to kind of straighten things out. So if that's the case, and you could start him there, um, kind of build him back up in the way you'd like to, that'd be ideal for the M's. But this situation might force their hand a little bit. From the opposite side of the corner, from third base over to first base. Uh, is there anything more Mariners than having a first base controversy? No, it feels like that's one of those positions the Mariners have just been cursed at for so long. <laughs> they, they, I mean, I can't remember the last time I felt comfortable with the Mariners uh, everyday first baseman. Richie Sexton, you'd probably have to go back to Richie Sexton, who wasn't even that great yeah. to really find a guy where you'd be like, yeah, that guy is a great everyday first baseman, or a good, uh, a serviceable everyday first baseman. Richie Sexton would have loved 2019. He's like, oh, you're telling me all I have to do is just swing hard and and, hit uh, home runs yeah uh, don't worry it. about striking out yeah exactly he's a player whose profile really would have thrived in this day and age yeah him and adam dunn uh but anyways the first baseman battle as it pertains to the m's uh kind of comes down to a, f- a few guys the 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 seager situation um really helps ryan healy because ryan healy was not looking at a, a first base slot uh but he will make the club regardless because of the the seager situation uh, it's going to be Daniel Vogelback, who, from what I remember about last season, um, he's kind of this this analytics gremlin, um, and people have debates about uh, his merits as a, as a big league player. Um, there was yeah, kind of... you say gremlin, I say sweetheart. <laughs> he's a, he's just a fire hydrant <laughs> of a man. Uh, but yeah, oh, he's a big boy. Yeah, so he was he was acquired um, in the Depoto regime, and and there's just kind of this old school new school battle. I think don't, Scott Service didn't want to play him as much as uh, Jerry Depoto probably would have wanted him last year. Um, but what do you see with Vogelbach? I mean, what is what are you what are the trade offs with him as a player? Because he has clear weaknesses defensively, um, but offensively he he provides somewhat of a of a frame of what you would want as a first baseman. Yeah, and the thing with Vogelbach is he was traded for in that Mike Montgomery trade, and yep. I think a lot of, of a lot of fans uh, or in diehard fans who remember that trade have some bad feelings about that because Mike Montgomery went on to go to the Cubs and played a, a, a rather sizable role in their World Series run and he's been a really good contributor out of their bullpen and they've gotten a lot of value out of Mike Montgomery that we haven't seen yet out of Vogelbach so mm-hmm. I think fans are a little frustrated and they want to see something out of Vogelbach to somehow justify the trade but that's really not the right way to look at it you just have to look at Daniel Vogelbach in a vacuum not what you gave up for him 
And the guy that you see in the vacuum is actually a pretty promising player. Uh, uh, defensively, I think he probably has less value at first base than he does at DH. I think DH is more of a comfortable position for him. But then again, Edwin Encarnacion probably has more value at DH than he has at first base. So one of those guys is going to have to man the position and probably give you a little bit of negative value there defensively. But offensively, he's one of those guys who, you know, you hear the front office talk about it all the time, control the zone, control the zone. He has a really good idea of what he wants to do up at the plate. He takes a lot of walks. He swings at pitches. You look at his heat maps, he swings at only pitches that he knows he can do damage to. Uh, he strikes out a fair bit, but again, in this new day and age of baseball, striking out isn't as much of a detriment as it used to be. So a lot of people really are high on him. He's absolutely mashed at AAA. He's done everything at AAA that anybody could ever ask. So really, it's just, can this guy's profile translate to the major leagues, and can he hit major league pitching, which uh, they're going to give him, it looks like they're going to give him 300, 350 at-bats to figure that out this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see once and for all that we can finally put this to rest, good or bad, what is Daniel Vogelbach. Yeah, exactly. And in the absence of true expectations for this season, just kind of some some free money at this point for him to play with, some at-bats that um, that aren't, you know, high-pressure situations and really just, a, you know, a, a good test against Major League Pitching. Um, to, to center field we go. This will probably be Malik Smith's role, but Malik Smith, I'm saying it wrong, Malik Smith uh, There you go. Um, will not be in Japan due to injuries. He probably won't be uh, with the club until mid-April or so from with a shoulder injury. Um, so they have some options in center field, but uh, what? how do you see that shaking out at least to start in the season? So they're bringing Ichiro to Japan. That's just a foregone conclusion. Hell yeah, Ichiro will be a, Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's how... Two for 22 this spring. <laughs> he's, he's been pretty bad this spring, huh? Yeah, he's just he's 45 years old. Yeah. He's gray. he's got like gray hair and stuff. He needs he needs like some touch of gray for men or whatever they call it. Yeah. But um, no, they're bringing Ichiro, so that's one outfielder that that's going to be on the roster. I think Hanniger's probably going to end up being the center fielder for those two games, and then they'll have Domingo Santana playing left. Um, but they still need a backup uh, outfielder, and that's going to go down to, between. You heard uh, Jerry Depoto's comments on like I did if. Uh, for the listeners out there, if you didn't hear him, he basically intimated that one of two guys is going to be the backup center fielder traveling to Japan with them and making the 28-man roster. And that's uh, either Braden Bishop, the UW guy, who has been coming through the system. Some of people actually who don't follow baseball super regularly might know him from all of the charity work he does. Uh, if you don't know about that, you should look it up. It's a really good story. Uh, or the guy we were talking about in the step back last week, Jake Fraley, who is really an interesting guy that they're targeting for this 28-man roster, seeing as he hasn't played a single game above single A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we well, more on Fraley in a bit, uh, but it seems like Bishop is going to be the guy that that ends up winning that uh, that kind of reserve outfielder position. Um, a little bit older than than Fraley, maybe a little less upside, uh, but his uh, his defensive range is there, and he's uh, he's definitely earned it with uh, with his swing in in spring so far. Yeah, so he's actually a guy. Do you remember Jake Lamb? He was also on the on the UW team. Yeah, the Diamondbacks yep. guy. Mm-hmm. Now he plays for the Diamondbacks. Uh, Bishop was kind of a, a, a tapped as a, his ceiling was going to be that of a fourth outfielder, great defense, no bat. Uh, but he he didn't you know want to settle for that. So he actually did a lot of work with Jake Lamb in the offseason trying to get that swing right, trying to change his launch angles and all that stuff. And it looks so far like it's paying dividends. He's hitting for a little bit more power and he's hitting the ball with a little bit more authority. Yeah, should be fun with with Bishop, local kid. Um, was was someone who, when I was working at UW, uh, 
Uh, he was uh, definitely the most exciting player on the team for for lots of reasons. Manning center field out in uh, beautiful Husky ballpark out there. Uh, all right, that's enough of the position battles. Let's get to the real stuff here. Uh, the first base battle is a is a key part of any any uh, Mariners off season. Uh, the next part is the debut of commercials. Uh, the Mariners commercials. There are four this year, uh, but really there's only one because three of them I think are terrible, and one of them is amazing. Yeah. So Do you, uh, let me guess. Let me guess which which one you think is amazing. Yeah, and which are the terrible ones. Yes, crafty, crafty lefty is the amazing one, right? Crafty lefty. I think they spent, uh, say, they had about fifteen hours total to bang these out. I think they spent about fourteen hours and, and twenty five minutes on on crafty lefties. Yeah, it was by far and away the best one. But if I can talk about crafty lefty for a minute, <laughs> let's uh, let's be... let's breeze through oh, yeah. the other ones. Uh, okay, yeah, let's, then, go through, let's go through. and then we'll bang that out. Uh, the first one is Speedy, which uh, hey guys, D Gordon is fast, and the Mariners would like to let you know that. Yeah, I see that. Like, what's the point? What's the point? He's not a young, exciting guy. Everyone knows he's fast. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. It was it was lame. They have they have a pit crew on third base, and it's just like, oh, great. That's uh, I, I didn't know D was fast. He, we covered that last year. Oh, is his nickname Flash too? Is that is that uh, yeah? So it's 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 annoying. Then the, the Malik Smith one, which they basically did the same thing. Um, they, yeah, <laughs> I, that, they used two fast jokes in four of the commercials. Yeah, uh, and it's that was that was my signal that the uh, the directive from from uh, from Depoto is like, hey Jerry, what do you want from uh, from the commercials this year? And he's like, I want people to know that we have a team of athletes. We're fast. That's just that's Jerry's mo, and that came through uh, in the commercials that uh, they want you to know how fast their outfielder. Seager's a pretty good actor in those commercials, though, huh? Every time I've seen him in one of those commercials, he's always done a really nice job. Yeah, Kyle Seager's got a good, uh, good dry humor there. Um, that's that's the product of being bald for a long time. You've you've uh, you've <laughs> got to make that. fun of yourself, exactly. And then there's the Mitch Hanniger selfie one, which I think is a re- it's just weird. Like, was it was it a cry for help and a comment on the the toxic nature of a fan's relationship with players? So I've seen a lot of like hot takes on this commercial. <laughs> Well, you know, and yeah. I didn't expect those words to ever come out of my mouth, the hot take on a Mariners commercial, but here we are. Um, I don't understand why everyone's so mad about this. I get it, like, the guy's annoying, haha, whatever, but it's just, like, it's a fan who's passionate about a game, and it's funny. Like, I didn't see, but a lot of people were saying, oh, are they really deciding to make fun of Mariners fans this year when we're going to be bad and they need all the support they can get oh, and blah, blah, on. blah. <laughs> yeah, I don't see any of that. I think people are being a little bit too sensitive there, but, I mean, I think people are a little too sensitive about a lot of things in general, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah, the, it wasn't a it wasn't a good commercial by any means, but it wasn't like uh, uh, criticism worthy like that to me. I didn't think. No, that was it was just weird. Like I I wish they had a do over for that. Um, but oh well, because they did have crafty lefties, which I I must say is superb and belongs in the the pantheon of great M's commercials. Uh, they uh, this is the only one that they should play, in my opinion, because. Uh, we we got a little taste of of uh, Wade LeBlanc's humor via social media last year and kind of fooling around with Marco Gonzalez, um, just constantly making jokes and and kind of teasing and things like that. Uh, it really came through in that in that commercial. Wade LeBlanc is a budding uh, superstar. So can I read into this commercial way 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 <laughs> too much uh, for a second? Yeah okay. yeah, go for it. So you see Kikuchi LeBlanc and marco gonzalez in their little club right yes and who is on the outside of that club looking in <laughs> felix hernandez 
Right. And I know. he's kind of outside the door, right? Like yes. almost as a symbol that he's on his way out. He right? doesn't that fit he no in. Longer fit, he no longer fits in this clubhouse and he's not a part of this anymore. Did you kind of read that the same way I read that? Absolutely. Yeah. They had him like we talked about it earlier, the, uh, the, the percentage of time that he was involved. I mean, there's three pitchers on screen. None of them are Felix. Uh, and they kind of were like, shit, we, we have to have him in here, don't we? Uh, and they threw him in. And so, yeah, I think as much as the Malik Smith and, and D Gordon commercials about being fast, uh, were messages about what this team wants to be, uh, having the kind of quirky, but, but, uh, productive pitcher, uh, is, is also their MO apparently. And, and Felix in the commercial literally has one foot out the door. You know? It's just, it's just, it's just a very on the nose, like symbol to me. Yeah. I wish he would have snuck in some Easter egg in there. Like he has, he's something coming out, coming out of his, like under his bill of his hat just says like trade me or something like that, yeah. um, <laughs> that he, that he could have pointed to. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of great parts of this commercial. There's that part. Uh, they tease you and make you think that you say Kikuchi is not going to have a speaking role. Um, with his first first clip when they show it to him and he just kind of like expresses that he's built this this Safeco Field replica, uh, but then he does speak and he says very crafty. Um, it's, it was it was great. And then there's the extended cut with the the Jamie Moyer tribute, which right <laughs> there's like those little small details all scattered around, like Jamie Moyer framed on the doorway. Door yeah, the, you know, it was yeah. just it was well done. It was very well done. Christopher Nolan directed this commercial. Actually, it was uh, it was very. They spent a lot of the budget. Uh, getting this done but yeah so good round of m's commercials um because of crafty lefties right i don't mind that the other three are bad because crafty lefty like you said is probably going in the merit in the like highlight reel of mariners commercials yes yeah it's it's uh it's an all-timer up there that that can be a different conversation is talking about the best ones uh all right we are uh behind schedule which is not surprising but yeah um, we can uh we can save our our teams to watch discussion for for a later date uh, because mm-hmm. that, that will hold true so we'll skip right over that our around the league segment sorry for for those of you that were ready for that uh but let's get to our let's get smarter segment and uh phil you're here to educate talk to us about the value of pitch framing yeah so this is one of those things mike zanino just hit a home run as Literally, as we're talking, I have the God TV on, damn. and I've got an MLB TV on, but he just hit a home run. But that's not why Mike Zanino was such a valuable guy to the Mariners. The pitch framing thing and how you quantify pitch framing in uh, in the statistics is, is really an in- interesting thing that I want everyone to kind of understand. Uh, that's a big concern that Narvaez has this year is that he's not a great framer, and framing is one of those things that's so hard to tell when it's being done right but makes such a big impact on the game itself a lot of uh sabermetrics guys analyze that anywhere between 35 runs and 50 runs can be saved from the best pitch framer in the in the in the game to the worst pitch framer Mm -hmm. so think about that 35 runs over the course of a season that's a lot of runs right yeah and yeah. The re- oh yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So the the run saved part of it, I wanted to um to to ask you a little bit is so this is something that that you know makes makes sense because of the amount of pitches that come in. I mean, you think about what's one pitch swinging a two one count to a two two count, uh, you know, has minor significance, but built over the entire season, you know, the 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 amount of wins that you're talking about is really significant. How how would you how do they quantify that um, in order to to kind of make those 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 statements about how much pitch framing matters? So here's a slash line that I'll give you. I'll give you two separate slash lines. This is a, we're in a zero zero count, fresh new batter, right? 
mm-hmm. and then we're going to take an average major league hitter what he does in a 1-0 count and an 0-1 count. So let's say there's a borderline pitch and the guy does a really bad job framing it the, the and the umpire calls it a ball. The guy's going to hit, on average, last season, a slash line of 223, 266, 352. Okay, or excuse me, that they're going to go 271, 382, 457. So that's an OPS of, let's do some quick math here, OPS of almost 800, right? Mm-hmm. Or 830, actually, in fact. And if the guy, if the catcher has a really nice frame job on the on the ball and they steal that strike, the OPS for the average hitter is less than 700. So you're talking about an OPS difference of 150 points just because the catcher did something that's so minor and so insignificant to so many people. But you add that up over every single batter, over every strike-stealing opportunity, and that translates to a lot of runs over the course of a season. Right, right. Yeah, so that's that's uh, that was something that, that was shocking is back when pitch framing started to kind of become in vogue is that number that you're talking about, the, the 35, 40, uh, was actually up to, to like 90, which is um, if you talk about terms of, of, of wins over the course of a season, translates to about – to about nine wins. So, I mean, this this is a huge deal and something where um, as catchers are becoming less valuable offensively, they can certainly make up for it um, in this regard. Um, and so pitch framing, the, the Mike Zanino ranked in the top 10 or 15 in terms of, of runs saved last year. Yasmani Grandal, uh, who was just signed by the Milwaukee Brewers from LA, uh, was the was the top guy in terms of, uh, of runs saved via pitch framing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's an, a very important thing and something that, that, uh, DePoto has talked about with Narvaez specifically, they believe he can become that. I'm not so sure. Well, there is evidence that a lot of guys have, uh, pitch framing is one of those things that you can be really good at one season and then all of a sudden the guy isn't as good next year or conversely, you could be really bad one season and have a really strong year the next year. It's not something like hitting where a guy, you kind of know what you're going to get when the season starts. Like with Hanniger, you're going to get probably a 280 average, you know, a 360 on base percentage and a 450 slugging percentage. Pitch framing is a little bit more up and down, a little bit more prone to volatility, I guess. But that being said, it's really hard to see, and it's not as apparent and in your face as a 450-foot home run. But over the course of a season, these little things really, really add up and create a huge difference and advantage for the pitcher. And especially with the young pitching staff this year, it's going to be really important that Nervaez um, steals as many strikes as he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it will be interesting. It's something that, that you can kind of pick and choose. It's kind of like offensive line play as a as a marin- or as a football uh, consumer. If you watch that and just kind of focus, you have to train your eye to look at it. Uh, but if you do it enough and you can kind of uh, catch how the catcher moves his glove after catching, uh, moving it closer to the, the edge of the strike zone um, is something that, that is really kind of fascinating if you just zoom in on on it as, uh, as an art form. And, and it totally is an art form. And it's one of those things where a lot of people, I don't know if you've heard of this movement, but there's a contingent of analytical fans who want robot umpires, they, mm-hmm. you know, at which they have the technology to do now. You could theoretically have nobody behind home plate except to call out and safe at home and check swings and all that kind of stuff but it would take away a lot of value that a lot of these catchers have worked a long time on honing their craft to stealing strikes yeah so it's an interesting debate i wonder how uh we talked last week about how pitching strategy changes all the time and is becoming more crystallized now if you want you know strikes up in the zone and 
and uh, you know big hanging curves and and more more power behind it. I wonder how the changes in in pitching as a as a craft have changed framing and the the work catchers have had to do. It's a good question. I mean, I think you could look at that and see over the last five years. I I don't have the stats yeah. on me. I'd have to pull it up on Baseball Reference, but I would venture to guess over the last five years because hitters have just become so much more dialed in. Pitchers are really nibbling around the edges, which is going to amplify the effect of pitch framing so much more because so many more of those calls are going to be borderline strikes and borderline balls, and you're going to have to have a guy who has some skill framing the pitch for the umpire to call it a strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now framing has become framing used to be this thing that some teams did and other teams didn't, uh, but now it's become this thing that everyone does. So it's the difference between the bottom and the top isn't whether you're framing pitches or not. It's how well you're doing it. So yeah, pretty- if you're not framing, if you're not worried about <laughs> framing pitches as a front office right now, you're way behind the curve. Yeah, exactly. So it, it is, is the 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 window between uh, the best and the worst is is shrinking. But it is a you know in a, in a game of minutia, um, an opportunity to uh, to really change some things. So yeah, thanks for teaching us about pitch framing. We will learn more next week. Uh, let's uh, let's step back for a second and and focus on the the big picture at the M's. Talking about a couple guys uh, who are a part of the future, and we're going to talk this week about Jake Fraley, whose name came up a little bit ago in the center field discussion. Uh, we'll probably start out at uh, at Triple A. Uh, my first takeaway from looking at Jake Fraley, the 23 year old from uh, from LSU, was that he looks like Chris Kamen. Yeah, big beard, long hair, big blonde oh, beard. The whole thing. Yeah, the flush beard. Yeah. I got to tell you, I feel a little vindicated this week. You should. You you had it called. He was a throw. I had it called, and then you said, why not? No, no, Justice Sheffield. And I held my ground. I said, no, nope, I'm staying with Jake Fraley. And he's done nothing but tear up the minor leagues and open up a lot of eyes as a guy. And we talked about him a little bit in the season preview, the one that was an hour and a half long, <laughs> uh, whatever, but about how he was kind of one of those throw-in pieces that DePoto always seems to like, a la Mitch Hanniger or Dom Thompson-Williams, or one of those guys, a kind of a toolsy outfielder who had a late, uh, sort of late swing change type of deal going on, and then started to put up really solid numbers. That's the type of guy that uh, DePoto has been targeting throughout his regime because he fell in love with, you know, the success of the Mitch Hanniger uh, saga, so he wants to try and replicate that any way he can, and it looks so far like maybe not to the same level as Mitch Hanniger, but he might have found another, uh, another one of those guys in Fraley. Yeah, Fraley is the the former MVP of the Australian Baseball League. Which I mean, you could retire with that and have that as your fun fact about yourself, and that's that's a pretty what good an life. accolade. Yeah, um, yeah, twenty three years old has a lot of promise. Uh, just hit a dinger the other day. Uh, I like I like what he's got, um, but I also like that we're in a position where he can he can just kind of bake in AAA for a while, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we'll see him eventually. To another guy, real quick, is Justin Dunn. Nothing too too major about him. He hasn't done anything remarkable. Uh, but the uh, the reason we're bringing him up is the comments that were made by Scott Service, where uh, they see him a little bit more as a starter than they may have when they actually acquired him um, in the uh, in the in the Robinson Cano trade. Which I think, I mean, that's a good thing projecting forward if you're talking about uh, Justin Dunn as as a pitcher, whether he does end up a starter or not. Knowing that he has starter stuff, I think, is exciting. Yeah, and I go so back and forth on this one aspect in my mind. I remember when the Mariners converted Edwin Diaz from a starter to a reliever, and I thought, oh, my God, what a waste of value. You know, obviously, a starter has a lot more – a really good starter has a lot more value to a club than a really good reliever. Mm-hmm. But you look at a guy like Edwin Diaz, if he was just going to be kind of a middle-of-the-road starter, 
you have a lot more value turning him into an elite reliever. So making that change to being a reliever is not a great thing uh, in general, but a lot of times it can work out like where you get an Edwin Diaz. But it is nice to know that the front office sees Justin Dunn as a starter going forward just because there is a little bit more projectability there than there is as a reliever. Yeah, definitely. It opens up their their planning for the future. Um, but yeah, Justin Dunn, Jake Fraley, both uh, both having uh, good springs. I also saw a um, a little clip of Julio Rodriguez hitting a double the other day, and boy, oh boy, was I excited! Yeah, he's got. I mean, he's got great bat speed. You measure out his bat speed. I saw. You know, they have these Rapsodo machines and these uh, Statcast machines and whatever they're called now. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an already. At his age, he's 18 years old. He's got a big body, but already he has a, a swing of, of 85 point something miles per hour. Major league average is in the mid 70s, so he swings Woof. the bat fast, which is gonna it's gonna produce a lot of power going forward if he can get the mechanics of it right. So he's somebody to really look out for. Yeah, he's uh, he's the um, the guy that hasn't really done any well hasn't done anything in the minor leagues this year. So um we'll uh definitely keep track of him because he's he's very young but um offers the the type of promise uh that uh that could really really turn into something special down the road but um just kind of one of those nice things to have in a, in a good organization is a guy that you know there's the Kellenics that are probably two or three years away and then there's the Rodriguez that might be three or four um so just that wave knowing that it is coming um or could be coming is, is uh, something we haven't had in a while Flipping to the ex Mariner of the week, I thought there was a clear winner here, but uh, you stole one that that uh, is just so heartwarming. Yeah, should, I, I think that the whole Danny Farquhar, for those of you who don't remember him, uh, he was a reliever in the for the Mariners in the mid two thousand tens, from like two thousand thirteen to I think two thousand sixteen, and he was part of that bullpen. He was the closer in two thousand fourteen for that bullpen that was really, really surprisingly good. They had. Um, Fernando Rodney, who had a, a weirdly good year. He did the Rodney magic that didn't blow up in his face. They had Dominic Leone, who was a guy who came out of nowhere and had a really good season. And then the whole thing was anchored by uh, Danny Farquhar. And that was a year that the Mariners were projected to not have a great bullpen, and it turned out they had a really good bullpen. Um, so it was a nice, pleasant supply, surprise. And uh, if you remember last year in mid-April, he suffered from like a really, really scary uh, brain aneurysm. He was throwing up in the dugout before he eventually fainted. They had to rush him to a hospital. He barely survived after hours of surgery and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it would have been totally reasonable to just for him to say, I'm done. You know, I made my money in the majors. I don't want to risk it anymore. But he's back. Uh, he's throwing in the minor leagues with the Yankees or in uh, spring training. He's probably going to end up in the minor leagues with the Yankees this year. But just to have made it back from, uh, from what could have been a potentially life-threatening situation and be back on the mound is a really, really nice thing to see for, for Farquhar. Yeah, well said and well documented by by you there. Uh, I went uh, much more superficial, much less wholesome. Uh, my ex-mariner of the week is Alex Rodriguez, uh, who got engaged to Jennifer Lopez uh, over the weekend, posted the big the big picture of she said yes, and it was J-Lo's hand with a, with a nice rock on it. Um, and, uh, A-Rod obviously getting engaged is, is one thing, but you peel back the onion a little bit. He was playing the long game, uh, with, with, how's Ms. that with Miss Lopez. So there is, uh, there's a photo of, of J-Lo A-Rod in a Yankees uniform and, uh, J-Lo's, uh, ex-husband Mark Anthony, um, before a, a Mets Yankees game in 2005. 
So J-Lo, mm. J- J-Lo is married to Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony's wearing an M's hat, and they're just kind of hugging Alex Rodriguez. Probably Mark Anthony being like, oh, Alex, come over. Let's let's take a picture of, of you know, <laughs> of you, me, and my wife. Let's keep that clear here. Uh, and then I don't <laughs> Wait, know. Wait, what... did you say M's hat or Mets hat? Mets hat. M's hat would oh, be I nuts. Oh, I thought wearing a Mariners hat. <laughs> M's hat might be why they're not married anymore. Um <laughs> Not that the Mets are any better, but uh, but yeah. So the, Mark Anthony and, and Jennifer Lopez got d- divorced a, a while back. Uh, a Rod, uh, he kept that kept that picture probably, and you know just held on to it. He's Alex Rodriguez. Maybe learned a thing from from Derek Jeter too. Uh, and then uh, you know, fourteen years later, gets it done. That's uh, that's 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 called plate patience, right there. <laughs> it's a good batter's eye. Um, yeah. And my question though is imagine you're Alex Rodriguez and everyone in the world knows how much money you have and how much money you made in your career and, and how wealthy you are. The pressure of buying a ring when you're that rich must oh, God. be horrible. What's the rule they say? Three months salary? Is that what it is? That's terrible. I don't know. I think it's something around there, but three months salary for that guy is like that's enough to buy a friggin' island in the I don't know. Island in the Caribbean. Yeah. Wedding ring rule. Putting this up. Uh, the new rule. Why man should spend three months. Yeah. Three months of his salary. That's that's a lot. <laughs> like, OK, let's let me do some quick math here. When he first signed that uh, big contract with we'll talk. We'll do the Rangers contract. Yeah, that was 10 years, 250 million. So 25 million a year. Divide that by four. What is that? So like he's got to get her like a six, six million, million dollar ring. ring. <laughs> Jesus, that's in- incredible. So even if you got her a five million dollar ring, she'd be like, "Oh, it's not six. You know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's out of control." But um, so yeah, it's maybe that's not fair. Maybe that's one of those things where like being rich pays off. Like the rich people that don't have to pay for lunch because restaurants are like, "Oh, come on, it's on it's on our ha- it's on yeah." Our house. The more famous you are, the less you or the richer you are, the less things you have to buy. Yeah, it just comes it comes out in taxes type thing. Um, but yeah, either way, a rod, well done, long game. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry about the the cost of the ring you had to get. Uh, all right, Phil, I I'm got, sure he'll be all right. Yeah, he'll he'll be fine. Um, I've got some trivia for you. Uh, mm-hmm. In our in our little bonus segment, we'll also punt. and I want to say this is not. I have not heard the question. No, I've no, not no. been able to like research anything. So, yeah, Jared Poto, looking <laughs> at you. This is not Goldsmith and uh, Goldsmith and and Depoto doing their their little dance where it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> the Satchel Page example from last week. This is legit. This is raw, uncut uh, trivia for Phil. Gonna stump him. Since 1992, the Mariners have only had six different opening day starters. Okay. Who are they? Okay. Felix? Yes. Bedard? Yes. Wait, you said since when? 1992. Okay. Randy? Yes. Moyer? Correct. Freddy Garcia? Yes. Okay, who am I forgetting here? Wait, Marco doesn't count yet, right? Correct. Yeah, Marco has not okay, okay. has not done it. Okay. Um, Felix might Nancy Kerrigan him by then. Anyway, so. Ah, uh, shoot. Who is the last guy here? Okay, I got five of them, right? You did get five. That's. I mean, the the Freddie one was probably the second hardest, but the one the one you're hanging on is is not easy. Okay, I probably am not gonna get it. I I, I, I give up. 
any fan of Ken Griffey Jr. baseball would know this name. Jeff Facero would be your guy. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that. I mean, I know who he is, but I wouldn't have gotten that. Yeah, that was that was new to me. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you're stumped. Um, and not in the not in the fictitious, uh, you know, Aaron Goldsmith patting himself on the back way. This that was a legit stump. I feel okay about that. Five out of six. That's a little over eighty percent. No, and that was that was you know that was that was good. But I have I have some some good ones in the in the can uh, for future. Yeah, yeah. Future I like weeks. this. I like I like the I like the the, the trivia. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get you at some point. I'll, maybe I'll give you a little little tee ball next week. Some some to, to build my of, confidence back up. Yeah, slump buster, something like that. Uh, do you want to present your hypothetical here, the Mike Trout, the Mike Trout one at least? Yeah, okay. and this is the one I've been thinking about a lot about the Mike Trout thing. So, and I want to hear your answer on this. Yes. Let's say tomorrow morning, me and Mike Trout get Freaky Friday. Okay. okay. I have, oh. I now have Mike Trout's ability to, to hit the baseball and field the baseball and throw the baseball and all that kind of stuff. Me, Philip Smurl though, has that ability. <laughs> and Mike Trout now has the abilities of me to play baseball, which is to say not any abilities to speak of what at all. Um, how long, A, would it take for the Angels to be like, we have to cut this guy, Mike Trout? <laughs> and B, how long would it take for me to find my way onto a major league roster? So I think it would take longer. I think it would take you longer to get to the majors. It would take I a, agree with that. It would take a lot of con- – of figuring out and because somehow you would have to figure out that you're so good at baseball, which wouldn't really happen in the restaurant. <laughs> like, no, it, it would, it would have to be like a random thing where I'm like outside playing catch with my little cousin or something. Yeah. And or like all some, of a sudden I'm throwing the ball really, really hard, you know? Yeah. Or like Quinn hits you up and it's like, let's go to the cages. And then you're just destroying the ball. That, right. But even after then, no GM is going to like just let me come in and be like, hey, I'm really good at baseball. You want to give me a tryout? No. You know, I'm going to have to go to like some random independent. You'd have to right? you'd have to hire an agent and then go to go to like you'd have to play with like the Bellingham Brave or Bellingham Bells or something like that. Tear it up. Like you you couldn't you couldn't just hit 350. You'd have to you'd have to like absolutely smash um which would be hard if if like yes, you were given the Mike Trout abilities. But mentally, could you just hop in and perform like that? Um, right. But I do have confidence. I mean, you're you're 25, like myself. I think that you could you could get to the bigs by age 28, assuming. Yeah, I think that's you fair. Take it. Because somebody would pick me up from the uh, the Bellingham team, yes. and put me into their minor league system, and then I would have to keep raking. You and would then eventually. You get a story written about you in the Athletic early. For, for just being this this rando woke up one day baseball sensation, um, maybe maybe have a movie deal before you have a big league deal, but uh, that's possible. Yeah, but but this this would be pretty crazy. That, that so that's the one part of it. The Mike Trout part of it would be would be quite interesting. Yeah, how long do they hang on to him when he's hit it when he can't hit anything and <laughs> like, can't field? Like, but like they know Mike Trout had just had like ten years of being one of the greatest baseball players of all time. If all things were equal, like Mike Trout runs as fast as as you would and and hits as fast as you would and like you know you played high school baseball but you know no offense you're not you're not yeah gonna... no i can't i no none taken i am fully aware that like i would be like 
maybe no 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 maybe about it i would be the worst player to ever step on <laughs> to a, either a major or a minor league field i think it would be like the first series it would be so alarming that they would have to be like mike we're gonna put you on the 60 day dl on this yeah they'd like send him to a psychologist or something to yeah be like, what happened to this guy he would have no absolutely no idea what had happened to him um and then there's no there's no actual freaky friday like voodoo that would have brought you two together where you two can kind of like come together like Lindsay lohan and jamie lee curtis to figure out how to how to reconcile this no uh, i just have his powers forever do you think do you think you would by the time you do make it to, the, to the majors have figured out that that's exactly what happened is that you just got mike trout's abilities i think i'd probably figure it out once like i would figure it out pretty shortly after mike trout really started sucking and being like there's something going on here yeah but that's only like a week in and, and as we're saying oh it, that's it, a good point yeah it i would wouldn't take, probably know yeah like quinn's not gonna invite you to the cages for a couple months you'd think i probably i probably would never put it together then i'd probably just think i was like a random late bloomer and like i just all of a sudden started getting really good <laughs> i hope that in this scenario you'd you would still look exactly as you do you put on no oh, more yeah. muscle you would just you would just be Phil Smeraldo, but just I run the same way. But now all of a sudden I'm hitting the ball like 500 feet. That'd be quite the story. I want nothing. If you more. like that kid from the movie Rookie of the Year, you yeah. know where he like hurts his arm and now he can throw the ball 100 miles an hour. I'd yeah, like that kid. Just an absurd premise for a movie, but uh, but it did well. Um, yeah, I I think you you'd get to the bigs. You would be like you'd be like um like Tom Wilhelmson. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be easy, but you would get there. You'd get an at bat because your story would have been so so um, talked about, and then Mike Trout would be become like Markel Fultz times a thousand for <laughs> right. That would be the most shocking development of any sport ever. I think like a player who's on track to be the greatest baseball player ever, probably just forgetting how to play. He still probably gets the Hall of Fame though. Is the crazy part? Oh, I think he would. I think he would definitely still make it, even if he retired today, which is essentially what we're talking about. <laughs> Once he gets my skills, he has to retire. <laughs> Uh, it would just, it would be, I don't know, but, but I mean, again, he's still Mike Trout, like he could, and young enough where he could salvage that. Build himself back up. Yes. Oh man, that would be quite the story. And then me and him play against each other. Yeah. Cause that's a screenwriter. That's a screenwriting. And he like uh, sees your swing. He sees your swing and he's starting to like rewind the tape and stuff. (laughs) He stole my (laughs) stuff. He took my skill. Yeah. Oh man. Wow. If uh, if anyone's still listening, that uh, that was that was sure fun um, talking about. I I know you have another one, but I just I want to leave that. Yeah, alone. no, that I think we should end on that one. Yeah, uh, quickly, who's your who's your yellow hydro of the week? Your uh, your favorite Mariner from uh, from the last seven days? I think you're gonna have to go first on this one. I have to pontificate on this one a little bit. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go with Braden Bishop. Um, his uh, his his work um, as a kind of i mean it's not an entrepreneur because he was doing it for a a very worthy cause but um i've i've been a college student and and felt like i've had some some ambition i was not a college baseball player um who had plenty of other things to do and granted that comes with a platform uh, but for his his mom who was battling alzheimer's he was doing incredible things in college uh to spread awareness about alzheimer's and has continued to do so in his minor league career as you mentioned he's done a lot of work to become uh, not just a fringe prospect, but a guy who's going to make the major league roster and has some potential um, down the road. I, I, I'm just I'm really happy for him being a being a dog. Obviously, is is part of that, but um, but for him to be in Japan 
for all that he's done. It, it seems like it's one of those true, like, this guy is just too good to fail. Yeah, I really hope so. He's got a great story, and I really want to see him do well. Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, I mean, he, he's probably going to get some ABs in Japan and, and uh, maybe get the first first big league knock up there. Hopefully. You know who I'm going to go with now that I think about it? A-Rod. He's, uh, the Mariners' first round draft pick last year, Logan Gilbert. Yes. Okay, he, he came in and had a just horrific, horrific two-thirds of an inning, and he was pitching against major league competition. And the kid was pretty unflappable. Like, he came out and he said, you know, I didn't pitch good, but I was nervous. And, you know, there's a lot of brighter pastures ahead for Logan Gilbert as his body develops and his mind develops and he becomes a really good starting pitcher. It's a little bit unfair that he got put against such stiff competition being a guy who hasn't even pitched in the minor leagues yet. So I'm really hoping that that didn't hurt his confidence too much. And I'm proud of him for even making it out there and giving up the five runs in two-thirds of an inning. Not uh, not not the greatest segment for uh, preface to around former Mariners first round pick uh, yeah. <laughs> that were that were now like the equivalent of of uh, Pony League proud of him for <laughs> proud of him for not crying when he gave up a grand slam. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, good good for Logan that he's that he's uh, composing himself well. Yeah, he'll be better than that. I mean, you can't get much worse than that. But I mean, it, it was his first time against uh, major league competition, and and he could feel that he was overmatched. But he won't be overmatched for long. Yeah, yeah. That's I, why they have numbers. <laughs> I think uh, if if Logan Gilbert's career trends this way and continues going this way, he might he might just become the the forgotten uh, forgotten Depoto draft pick. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, um, he will not be brought up in any any future Mariners trivia's. Um, that'd be that'd be a fun hypothetical though. Is what if uh, Aaron Goldsmith found out he was getting fired before anyone told him, and so he was like, <laughs> so he's just like, <laughs> yeah, he being, gave him some really hard shit. <laughs> just being an ass, like, what what was Jerry Depoto's <laughs> shittiest draft? <laughs> Jerry's like, we did not talk about this, Aaron. <laughs> Uh, blow the cover off the whole freaking wheelhouse. <laughs> oh God, blow up the wheelhouse. That that should be our motto. Um, that is, our, I mean, we that's our rival. I, that, we've we put him in our sights. That sounds like a direct threat, but it's it's uh, it's more meta metaphorical um, than anything. We're not actually gonna commit arsony on the on or arson on on uh, Jerry Depoto's podcast, but we are coming at them, um, and they don't have hypotheticals as, as weird as ours. That's for sure. Yeah, and I'll have another one for you next week. <laughs> Can't wait, man. Can't wait. We uh we murdered our 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 outline here. We didn't get to half the stuff we wanted to talk about, but uh but boy, it was fun. So thanks for doing this. Uh, I'll be coming back from from Vegas next Monday, so it might be a a uh, I have sunglasses on and I just let you talk situation. But uh, damn it, we're oh gonna, yeah, we're gonna keep doing this. I I mean I'm ready and willing and able to keep doing this, and I'm glad that we didn't get to everything because that just means more good content for next week. Hell yes. All right, Phil, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Talk to you next week. All right, take care. Peace.